Welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan. And today we're looking at Minute 93. It begins with Ripley carrying Jones to his cat carrier and ends with Parker saying, Get out of the way, Lambert! And we're joined again today by Mariah E. Gates. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Good, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. Alright, so things are getting dicey in Minute 93. Well, at least she picked up the cat. She's got the cat. She has the cat. She saved the cat. Well, I mean, she started to. I, I was going to mention, I think, I guess it happened in the last minute, that uh, Aunt Ripley knew right where that cat carrier was. Like, she went right to it. So, you know, that was making me think, and I don't know, like, if she'd really do this, but it was making me think, like, if you're a cat owner and you're, you know, in a fire, you immediately do that and, and you go into, like, that mode. So it made me think she was in, like, cat owner fire mode or whatever but yeah. because as we've discussed we had they, had they didn't really establish her as like jones's you know human i don't know that ripley would immediately go into cat carrier fire mode you know what i mean but she does she grabs the carrier in a pre in the previous minute yeah when she goes to the corridor she opens up the closet grabs the cat carrier and takes the cat carrier with her into the bridge right yeah she cra- yeah. she grabs it as if it's like her car keys like she minute, always knows minute, where they are hanging on the 90. hook yeah yeah and uh i'll tell you that mariah this is one of those things that kind of it could have gone a different way you say you know from your point of view they didn't establish her as the cat's human which i'd say that you're probably right they don't really have any moments uh leading up to this where you say oh that's ripley's cat but if they would have when the cryo tubes open early in the film had we just had a camera angle of her uh, from production stills I've seen, Jones was, yeah. was there with her in the tube. That would have made a world of difference. It's in all the written material, too. It's in the book and the Just a, like a moment. Now, like I pointed out on, on Twitter when I was rewatching this, there is a shot of the um, early on in the film of the um, dashboard or whatever, and there's a little kitten photo. Yeah. But, I, they, you know, they don't make it very clear, like, who put the kitten photo there. Like, Not to mention, I had it. to search that still that you put up there to even see it. It was mu- It was pretty muddy. Yeah. In the shot. And, and what part of the movie was that from? Was that it's pretty it's pretty early on um, when they're landing? It's like, yeah, it's like before they've even gotten to the planet. I was just going to ask, is that specifically Ripley's console? I thought it was. But, you know, I, I saw that and I'm thinking I don't think it was. I think it was supposed to be um, Lambert's console. I think she leaves it, and then that's when that shot is. But I can't remember now. I just screenshotted it so fast that right. I didn't screenshot like the context. <laughs> so then I was like, "Shoot, no, I don't remember." You should, if you can, drop that onto the um, on the Facebook yeah. members page, and we can take, okay. a, take a closer look at it. You know what I also noticed? This is not for this moment. It's a little earlier on, but there's like when they're fighting with Ash, there's some like really gnarly pictures of women. Oh, well. like right by the kitchen. Yeah, that's a whole you subject. Did, yeah, we talked ex- talk about that. Okay, sure did. I'm gonna find that episode because I was like, um, this is how are the women on this ship okay with that? Yeah, we had, but I, you know, sort of like you got to do what you got to do. Boys will be boys. Is probably the mindset they had. Yeah, but we were hoping that, that that little niche at least had some kind of a door on it or something. Yeah, it doesn't seem to have even a curtain. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about was, this. Did we assume that was Brett's? stuff because i assumed it was his we you know i don't think it's it's quarters 
uh, we talked about this. It doesn't seem to be somebody's quarters. We deduce that it's some kind of like relief room or something because it doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't really make much sense that one person's quarters would be right off the galley. It also doesn't yeah. make sense that this room would be right well, off the no, galley. And it's, it looked like it was like, because um, they cut to Ash getting pushed against the wall, and there was pictures of someone's children. So it looks like it was just like where so people weird. put the photos they, you know, <laughs> yeah, they're like family and friends. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, but, Violet Luca from Film Comment magazine on to talk about that and it would it was quite the conversation yeah i'm gonna find that episode it was cool i I I have a note for this minute and i can't read my own handwriting says lambert doesn't something something no we'll we'll get yeah we'll get to lambert (laughs) we'll get there in a second i just wanted to (laughs) add just being my pedantic camera person that um this whole business at the beginning of this minute is just the is the same dolly move just going back the other way and right. I I've noticed this a lot in the film just because economy economy of filmmaking which is uh, imp- so impressive in this movie uh, although I might suggest that the economy of filmmaking may have transferred on into the economy of the budget because it feels like these five minutes are kind of rushed like maybe they were running out of money or maybe this is one of the places where they're like we just can't afford to spend the money um that it's going to take to make these five minutes super special which we'll get to when we start talking about the deaths of these characters well i was going to say you know in regards to that the ending of the movie we're not there yet but the sort of coda or fourth act of the movie is something that Ridley Scott had to fight for to, to be able to shoot at all. And it makes you wonder, you know, he was apparently dead set on having this second ending of the movie after the, uh, after the Nostromo was destroyed, that maybe he rushed some things early on to make sure he was going to be able to do that. So I would say that's a good reason. I don't know what the order of shooting was exactly, but I could see if, if this, these scenes were being shot during this battle with the producers over, getting that last scene done if he might not have just run through them to get get them done and keep some money on the budget and yeah and keep some time on the schedule it's all about you know fighting your battles picking your moments and i guess if you're going to have a five minutes of the movie that's not as strong as everything else maybe do it at the very end of the second act or the beginning of the third act so you have time to build up the momentum to get to the end and that's not to say that these five minutes don't work really hard to try to keep topping itself. Like everything really does escalate. It just escalates in a, I don't know, sort of an artificial or obvious way, maybe. So we go to this really odd vignette shot of Lambert, full body, tossing the canisters. And it's a weird shot because I, at first time I saw it, I thought, well, is that a point of view shot from inside the air shaft? And didn't they close the air shaft? And then I look at it more closely and I think it's supposed to be one of their spotlights that they've been carrying around, but it makes this absolutely perfect <laughs> circle around her. And I'm sort of like, Oh, I don't know. Yeah. What do you think about that shot, Mariah? Well, yeah, it's the way it's, it's lit is very, um, obtrusive of her and very like look at her how upset she is we're focusing on this look at it and it's 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 very um conscious of itself i think in a way that a lot of the way a lot of the film isn't shot that way um what do we think the motivation is i mean is it just to give us this uh shadow that's going to creep in is that all it's for 
or are, are they actually trying to say something about Lambert by doing like a target? Like they're putting her in a target? Is she in the spotlight? Is it basically she's fucked? Here, look, she's fucked. Then the shadow creeps in, and I wonder if it wasn't more just a practical. We want to get this shadowy figure creeping up from behind her. We just want to get that shot, so let's just light it this way, and and, and it'll really show up. Or doesn't seem I'm no cinematographer. It doesn't seem like it would be easy to pull this off exactly the way they did without it being kind of a big obvious light on her. I well, the know. alien shape is just a silhouette. I mean, it's the yeah. silhouette that just kind of dangles into frame, which is right. good because it doesn't look like a man in a suit. It looks like something weird dangling in, in right. the frame in the foreground that we can't tell what it is. Which for a second we could think is Parker, just for a second. You go, oh, Parker's not in frame. He's there somewhere. Maybe for a second we're supposed to believe that it's just Parker creeping up behind her. We just had a couple of false scares, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. My note says Lambert doesn't something alien head. And I don't know what the she word is. She doesn't want to look at it? She doesn't. I don't know what I was thinking. Something about the alien head in her. But um, but I also have it noting that she's like, at this point, she's practically crying. Oh, yeah. um, which is like the most emotion anyone has shown through the whole film. Like she's slowly breaking down throughout the film. And at this point, she's like lost it. And it's just like a bucket of tears. Yeah. Um, which is hard to watch and also sort of shows that this film while trying to be a little transgressive was still falling to horror movie tropes of like scared women, which is kind of a bummer. If it, it would have been nice to have seen like, I don't know, Parker crying. Like you're not going to expect Parker to be the guy crying. Yeah, I think that's, but, a good, that's a very, that's a very good point. Given how much poor Lambert has suffered through this entire film, it would have been nice to give her some kind of a moment. She did. She got, she took Ash out. Remember? She's the one that that got yeah. Ash. In yeah, the she end. did. She so did. She got a little moment. Yeah, but but that but that's not her final moment. You know. No. So so she gets reduced back to the one who's always whining and crying, and I don't know. It just kind of bums me out a little bit. Though I mean, you could say that it's to she's in you know stark relief from Ripley, right? Are they not just giving us here's the trope, here's what you expect from a woman in order to differentiate her from what you're about to get from Ripley as she fights tooth and nail to survive and, and wins. I mean, I, I love Lambert. I like that she got the moment with Ash. I kind of wish she would have gotten, I do wish that she would have gotten a bigger moment here, but I also understand somewhat what they're trying to do. I think this is a transitional thing that they're doing where they're saying, you expect, we spent this whole movie kind of teasing that these men were going to be the protagonists and then we killed them off one by one. So at the time in 1979, you're not expecting Ripley to be the protagonist. So for one last little bit of time here, we're giving you something else you expect, which is the scream queen, the the, the fretting woman who is inactive against, uh, against danger and, and impending doom. And then we're going to give you the thing that you haven't seen before. Yeah, I see. I agree that I'm, I think that's what they were doing. I just don't think that that was necessary. And that's partially like coming at this from a 2016 perspective as opposed to a 1979 perspective where I don't think it's necessary to show like the Madonna to get the horror or the horror to get the Madonna. You know what I mean? Like not that they're a Madonna whore, but like I don't think you need to show a screaming woman to have us see that Ripley is not what we're expecting. Cause we've seen, you know, at this point, 80 years of screaming women. So it's like, if you've seen King Kong, you already know that Ripley's totally different. And we do get the contrast to Ripley in the bridge hearing all this happening. And she's pretty determined 
I'm not necessarily saying she's cool and collected. Uh, she's very concerned, but she's not falling apart by any stretch of the imagination. And so you do have that contrast right there in front of you from one cut to the next. And they've been spending the movie doing that, going all the, ba- all the way back to when they first find out that they're not in Earth's system. And we get a two-shot of Lambert sort of nervously annoyed by this fact and Ripley uh, immediately asking for data, for facts, coolly, Which also calmly. sort of shows you why she's so high-ranking, like, because that's what she does. Like, Lambert is a navigator. She does one thing, and she does it generally well, which is why she's pissed when she realizes they're not where they should be. Right. Um Whereas Ripley like has multiple skills because she's higher up on that hierarchy of like leadership. I think it may also be that the strategy of this five minutes really reveals itself now because the alien appears sort of in three ways. First as these dangling shadows, right? And then we get this shot over her shoulder of the head coming up into frame, preceded by the the, the things on its back, the the weird nodules on its back. And so again it looks very inhuman doesn't look like a guy in a suit and then we finally get the full shot of the alien face to face 48 seconds in facing her and it looks like a guy in a suit for just a short minute but that's the first time we see its whole body so it is sort of saying to the audience okay have a look at it here it is here's what it looks like and then they get out of that again and we don't see that version of it uh until the very very end of the movie i don't really have a problem with that moment uh you're right he looks like a guy in a suit there's something kind of eerily um, familiar about it, though, too, that works for me in in relation to Lambert's response to it. Because how she responds physically, the performance Cartwright gives here, is very odd <laughs> when you consider the other ways we've seen characters respond to a monster in the past. I mean, either get the hands up to the face, like the pearl-clutching kind of, Hands mm-hmm. to the face scream that's just really cheesy and from the fly shit. or something. Yeah, or you get like someone running for their life, and this feels like pure intimidation. Like this is almost like a big man uh, who is physically intimidating a small woman, and it feels eerily familiar in that way. And I think it works. It bugs me. I I think it works for as a horror movie. It works really well because it bugs me. It seems as though. The way she's not able to look at him, the way she just the way she responds looks some, like something kind of real to me, even though the figure looks like a man in a rubber suit. What do you think, Mariah? Um, well, I have more to say about the alien, but I think it's in the next. My notes on it are in the next minute. Okay, All right. so I'm going to hold the next minute. Um, but I think what my note that I can't read is talking about Lambert and Parker's dynamic, because yeah. he's trying. If I, if I remember correctly, he's trying to, like, he's yelling at her to get out of the way so he can kill, shoot the alien, but she can't really, she can't move. And it's it's sort of strange that he would, like, expect her to, like, be able to move when there's this big giant thing right there. like Right, right, right. which um, I guess it will be the motivation in the next minute when he does move, right? Yeah, and, well, and then also you get this back and forth cutting because it starts with, Ripley putting the cat in the cage and it cuts back to them like freaking out because there's this alien and then it cuts to Ripley hearing them freak out and I think um, throughout the film sound is used really well and this is one of the moments where where the sound design is great because you can see like Ripley's just trying to get her shit together and then suddenly she hears 
like her crewmates basically dying in another room and she's trying to figure out how to like help them but she they're literally separated by you know the whole of the ship so like how you know you see you see a lot about Ripley as a person like she could just go but she hears this, this mayhem and she goes towards it instead of saving herself so it's a good it's a good moment for Ripley well, there's a cut here you know the way this cuts that I think it's it's another way of them solidifying her status as protagonist because the alien appears we get Lambert's response vocal response to it you get Parker's vocal response and it's a pretty hard cut over to Ripley yeah because what's important here now is that we hear what she hears we, we we're getting her point of view of this action and it's interesting also in the music the scoring here there's a light bit of this little like classic Bernard Herman s screeching strings right it's just kind of going under the under the score while Ripley is hearing it and you it's it's kind of classic horror movie impending doom underscoring yeah. and then we cut back when we cut back to Lambert this has always been one of those moments that I wouldn't say bothered me but it really makes me wonder what whether this was sloppy editing or if this has a, a an intended effect when they cut back it almost seems like they're mid score as the alien rises up. Oh, it's like an ugly sound edit. Is what it's you're an suggesting. ugly. It's kind of an ugly sound edit, but it feels effective too. It's like we've had this moment. We, it would be a little bit too neat to cut over and then build the music up. Cutting over mid music is almost like the scene was happening that we weren't watching, and it was scored and everything. Yeah, right. And then we cut right back into the middle of it. And I think it works really well. It's just always been something that a bit of artifice that it's always been present to me that I was able always made me think. But uh, but it's dissonant, and the dissonance of it is kind of cool. And it's jarring, so it makes the scene more shocking. We're right back into horror again, like full-on horror in that impending doom that, that Lambert is experiencing. Well, not to be nitpicky, but I will, okay. since this is the five minutes I'm going to pick nits at. Well, you, Mitch, given, we are on a nitpicky show. <laughs> given the fact that they had cameras on their spacesuits, it just seems odd to me, especially in this day and age, that there aren't cameras all over the ship, like, you know, security cameras or right. communication cameras or, or, or whatever. So, I mean, it's great from a horror movie point of view that all we all we can do is, is experience the sound and experience Ripley experiencing the sound and the hopelessness and helplessness and terror of that. On the other hand, I'm, I can't believe there's not a view screen that, she, you know, that she can't look and see what's going on down there. It is kind of strange, and I was thinking that too, because um, it's not like sci-fi hadn't already... Uh, done this like the world of sci-fi has already at least as early as like star trek in the mid 60s had like view screens all over the place so it wouldn't be unheard of in some sort of sci-fi world to have lots of view screens even i think on a um like a commercial ship yeah and certainly aliens will totally embrace the notion of screens because they have screens in all the different rooms uh on the on the planet when they're you know stranded in the they've got cameras in the labs right yeah. Yeah. god aliens gave me such nightmares as a kid this <laughs> one didn't so much but be, i think because there was a girl that was like my age right. in aliens yeah like well when i saw it because i was born the year aliens came out but when i saw it the girl was my age uh and that really um that really messed with my brain yeah i think this uh, this camera thing mitch is another 
one of those uh, places where you can see James Cameron saying he probably asked the same question when he watched alien Mm -hmm. there's those little innovations that he made in aliens like the uh uh, pilot light on the flamethrower as opposed to a big (laughs) flame you know and so on all the little things where he being a tech-minded guy that he is he said well why wouldn't they just have uh, cameras all over the place and you would think a giant oil refinery manned by seven people You'd want to be able to just look at a screen and check on something from time to time and have to go all the way down. <laughs> Instead of having to send Brett down to look right. at it. <laughs> and you're right, Mariah, that Star Trek had this well-established. They always had these neatly, like, like high-key lit and edited sequences that they could watch anytime anywhere, they wanted Anywhere, yeah. Anywhere Kirk was, he could have been in the, like, elevator thing. There was a monitor for him to look at. So. I always laughed. There's the, you know, the original pilot of Star Trek that... Uh, they redid the pilot with a new, you know, with Kirk as the captain. Mm-hmm. And then they did those episodes later where they brought that old captain back and they look at most of the pilot. Like they're in court and they're like, hey, let's watch the scenes and see what happened. And they literally begin with this this giant, like, zooming in shot of the bridge. <laughs> like yeah. they, had, they had this neat camera move zooming into the Enterprise bridge through the window. And they, I just always thought that was funny that they didn't unapologetically just use that footage like it was surveillance footage. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I, I met the guy who filmed that original pilot once. Really? He's a pretty cool dude. His name's Robert Butler. He, like, is the king of pilots. He, sh- he shot so many pilots. He shot, the Hill, I think, the Hill Street Blues pilot and... Moonlighting, he did like the moonlighting pilot. You really his filmography, it's literally like he'll shoot pilots and then call it good. He's one of those guys. Nice. Wow, that's not a bad place to be as I understand it. And now he's like 85 and mostly just like goes to film festivals and talks to kids. Sounds like a good guy. Imparts wisdom. Well, we're at the end of this minute. I don't have anything else. Do you? Nope. Mariah? Yeah, no. I still am not really sure what I wrote for that last note. So someday maybe I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> take a picture of it put it on the, yeah, <laughs> put put it on on the, the listeners page what, yeah, and we'll try to <laughs> whoever can decipher it uh, wins a little ash figure or something <laughs> yeah all right well mariah you want to remind us once again where you can be found on the internet um pretty much any social media outlet where the word old films flicker shows up that's me you can find us at alienminute.com also follow us on twitter at alien minute pod uh, don't forget to go over to itunes and subscribe to us there or stitcher or google play um, I also want to give a, uh, just a little shout out to Mitch's, uh, Mitch and former guest Jason Hecht's show, the uh, DVD Gurus, they did for years on KCUR here in Kansas City. Uh, you can find that at the Facebook page of DVD Gurus. All right. And we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 94.